0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Deacon James Keating, who has nearly 30 years of experience in the area of clerical formation in the Catholic Church. He is currently professor of spiritual theology at Kenrick-Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Previously, He was the Director of Theological Formation in the Institute for Priestly Formation at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. He's the author or editor of over 28 books on spirituality, morality, and clerical formation, including including Remain in Me, Holy Orders, and Prayer in Ministry. With Deacon James Keating we go inside the pages of Abiding in Christ, Staying with God in a Busy World published by the Institute for Priestly Formation. Welcome, Deacon Keating. Thank you very much. So great to be talking about Abiding in Christ, a work that you've produced that's directed toward the spiritual life of the laity.
1: Thank you, yes. So we wanted to serve the laity toward their own interior development, and we produced this little book that lay people can bring to the, their church and do adoration with and maybe just find a quiet place in their home and read through it and pray with it.
0: I found what was so nice about this is that you gave us some very practical things that we can do in our everyday lives to accomplish this and we'll get to that. But in the very beginning, you discuss why we should, why this is important to abide with him, make time for him. Who is the him we're talking about?
1: The Holy Trinity, of course, and the the importance of this time is because we are constantly invited away from remaining in his presence by the um, you know the 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 rush of popular western culture and so way back when we realized that the spiritual life is a battle and that you have to choose to remain with him and you can sometimes you have to fight to remain with him and the struggle is worth it And because God is a spirit, it's almost surprising to us how easily he can slip away from us. And so we do have to make conscious efforts to recall his presence throughout the day.
0: You bring up a scenario of a guy with four kids who has two jobs trying to sustain his home. And in that scenario, he's asking the question, how am I supposed to be able to do that? How can I? I mean, it sounds really poetic and very nice about remaining with with, Christ, with God. But how can I possibly do that?
1: Yeah, and this is the perennial question, of course. And it's uh, a question that uh, has to be answered uh, within the context of the uh, the busyness of our days. And so um, there's a intentionality that we can Uh, Enter uh, by going to the sacraments, of course. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But what's most key, I think, now is to try and displace what has filled your mind uh, up to the point where you really want to take seriously a commitment to keep receiving his presence in your heart and to see if you can purify what's in your mind, maybe even displace what's in your mind. And uh, fill that with the Word of God. And so the perennial discipline of Lexio Divino or reading scripture a little bit each day pushes out or displaces a lot of the images, a lot of the desires that we have um, inadvertently allowed to reign in our hearts and our minds because of the culture we live in. And it's caused us some anxiety or caused us some Uh, openness to lies about our identity. And so we want to replace that with the truth. And so the first small step is to find that time during the day to give uh, God time to speak to you through his living word. And of course, that's the most important faith aspect. We believe that God is alive. We believe that God speaks through his scriptures This is not a study time. This is not academic learning for knowledge. This is encounter. And when we encounter the living God through the scriptures, he affects what we think about. He affects what we choose. He affects what we feel. And so just a few minutes each day with the living word will begin to displace the superficialities of our culture.
0: In this work, you talk about our desire, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but the desire we have to hold on to our sin. It's something that we can see in many ways. It's tangible, the an, an action, a movement towards something. It, it gives us a feeling, it may not be one that we would later feel is healthy, but it It satisfies us in some type of way, doesn't it?
1: Yes. uh, Sin, uh, to some extent, possesses us, uh, usually at the level of pleasure. Uh, Even if you think about the sin of anger, uh, it always seems like it's mayhem, but it's actually pleasurable. People get a rush out of being angry, Uh, they get a rush out of being greedy. There's a, there's a pleasure in sloth, in daydreaming, in fantasizing, in not doing the duty or the work we're supposed to do right in front of us. There's a pleasure in sloth. And so that pleasure is the glue, the adhesive, that keeps us in love with our sins. And that's what God is always fighting. He's trying to displace uh, that false love that we have set up by the way of pleasure. And unfortunately for God, God knows that pleasure is not the deepest reality of, of existence. And so he's not going to play the game back and like uh, trump the pleasure of sin. He is going to uh, attract us away from the pleasure of sin by the beauty of truth. As uh, Joseph Ratzinger used to say, You know, the face of God the beauty of God's face. What's that mean? That means that the truth, the radiance of truth will eventually win us over even uh, against the strong uh, undertow of sin's pleasure. If we give him a chance, spend time with him, open our hearts to be affected by him, then over time, this beauty of his own face, the truth of who God is, will move us away from the immediacy, uh, the gratification of the pleasure that's hiding within all of our sins. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is finally surrendering to truth and its beauty over and against the fleeting pleasure of self-involvement.
0: As I said earlier, a lot of times that sin, easier for us to see, it's, it's a tangible type of gratification. It's, a, it's a, something we've captured on the Internet. It's, it's something that we've engaged in with others. It's a, something that is sensory in a real way, and it gives that faux satisfaction. Exactly. How, it, how is it then this face of Christ, this encounter with love, what does that look like for that man How is it? do you recognize it how do you touch it how do you know it
1: well the the, um, the counter move if you will of God uh, against what you so rightfully say about sin which is right there tangible it's as close as you know a bottle of alcohol uh, it's as close as uh, you know a um one of those, uh, what do you call those places that you eat and you've got a big, oh, a buffet. One mm-hmm. of those big buffets, you know, for gluttony. I mean, you just you got the alcohol, you got the gluttony, you got, you got uh, everything in front of you. You got the satisfaction of power with anger. You can see things change because of your anger. People are afraid of you. Yeah, it's right there. It's tangible. Sin gets results, and the the counter move to that from God was Jesus, uh, the flesh. God became flesh. God joined creation, if you will, in the flesh. And then from that, even further dispersed and deep, deeper uh, in availability became the sacraments. I can see the body of Christ. I can feel the blessing of the priest on my head in sacrament of anointing or reconciliation. I I am uh, encountering in my flesh, uh, mediated by the things of this earth, the face, the life of God through the sacraments. And so he did not leave us orphans as he said he would not. He did not leave us alone to feel tossed about by these very close, easily available sins, he uh, left us uh, equally visible signs of his great love for us. And Satan tries to flatten the power of sacraments uh, through telling us lies, and then uh, we rationalize uh, our avoidance of these sacraments Because we know that there's going to be this transition time between the pleasure of sin that I love and the uh, resting in the contemplative beauty of God's face, which I only now hold in faith, but I don't fully have an experience of in my flesh. And that transition is very hard. And so that's why we keep going back to our own place, to the place of the self, because there's that movement from the pleasure of sin to the eventual fulfillment, but it's an eventual fulfillment. The sacramental imagination is not immediate. Sacramental fulfillment is not uh, going to happen right when you leave sin. You're going to have to develop a taste for being with God, and this frightens people because what will I do in the interim? What will I cling to? Where will I find my satisfaction and rest? Where will I find the pleasure that I miss in my sin? And this is where faith develops. Faith strengthens in this transition from the pleasure of sin to the complete rest in the sacramental life, in the sacramental imagination. Um, All those people who go to daily Mass are resting in what so many uh, have yet to taste or know or see. So God has not left us alone. Uh, yes, sin is very, very tangible. Uh, but he has made his counter move in the sacramental life.
0: You and I, both of our families, we've had to make some rather large transitions in our lifetimes. We've moved physically our families from one city in one state to another city in another state. And it, and even smaller ones from a different one house to a different house every time there's a movement like that, it's always a challenge. It's always, a, it can be a struggle. It can, It making the move from the old place to the new place and everything in between, it jostles us. That, is that something that we can experience when we enter into this type of movement in our own heart?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy, actually, uh, because Whenever you make a move, a physical move from a house, one house to a new house, it's chaos. And what calms us down or what has to calm us down is that that's normal. In that transition, oh, this is what moving is. You, you can't wish for it to stop because you have to move. You have to make this, this uh, upheaval from where you were to where you're going. And so... This is uh, where most of the books on the spiritual life are written. They are written during the move time, if you will, trying to encourage people. Don't be afraid. Uh, Don't give up. Don't go back to the old house. You know that the promise will come true if you go forward to the new place to live. Everything is waiting for you there. Don't stay where you are. And don't, for heaven's sake, go back to what you used to have. It's difficult now in this move. This transition is causing you pain. Go through it. Go in it. And of course, God is there all along as you're leaving sin and moving into a new life of virtue. But you have to expect the upheaval. That's why the perennial symbol of this is the the Exodus. The Hebrew slaves leaving slavery and going to the promised land. But the bulk of it is... Moving day, the bulk of it is what's happening in the desert, the transition, the temptations in the transition, not the fulfillment, not immediate gratification, but trust, faith, guidance from prayer, guidance from the scriptures, guidance from people who are holy during this time of moving, transition, upheaval from the bad place, slavery, to the new home, the sacramental life
0: it's interesting that we're using this kind of analogy to describe this because i think this is true in the spiritual life too because you can okay you've made the move from the different city into the new city you've parked yourself and now you're trying to understand where you're at and you find out that in portions of the city that i oh this looks very good and so we get involved here but wait a minute that's not for us or we we participate in something or um, experience different things until we finally are settled. And that's the thing that we should p- potentially anticipate as well. I mean, with the, when, we, when you begin to have this relationship in prayer with God, th- that could be something that could be anticipated too. It's trying to find your place in that relationship. Trying to find your place, yeah.
1: And you can see that's why a lot of people, you know, in the transition, like the, the famous and sad statistic about RCIA that Some of the people that went through the RCIA program, moving from no religion, let's say, to Catholicism, eventually never found their place, and they left. They left the church. And so it's very precarious, this move. It's very precarious to move from the old life through the desert to the promised land. And I think you're correct. That's why some people say, especially people who've experienced moves a lot, you know, the next move, when I get to that new city, I'm going to rent for a while. I'm not going to move and buy a house right away. And by that, they're saying, I have to you know, get the lay of the land. I have to understand the interior geography of this move that I've just made into Catholicism or into a deeper appropriation of my faith. So I'm going to hold things lightly. I'm going to get guidance. I'm going to discern who I befriend, fellowship. And all the while, God is trying to move you into the deepest uh, happiness of the, the core of that move, which, you know, the analogy would be you finally find your home. And of course, spiritually, that's the Eucharist. There's nothing that will ever surpass the Mass. There's nothing that will ever surpass uh, the very humble and simple actions of daily Mass and of resting in the quiet of Mass, of resting in communion, it is the very definition of home to be in the depths of that communion with Jesus. You have found your place. Go there. Or if you've left, go back there. Sometimes I have to travel in, in my ministry and uh, the thing I miss most, of course, is Marianne, my wife. But if she was with me in travel, I am home. It doesn't matter where we are. Uh, we could travel all the time. If we're together, we're home, we're at rest, we're at peace. Whereas if I travel without her, I keep wanting to go back to her. That's the restlessness of being human. Why are you restless? You're not home. You might be trying to find peace in a relationship that's not for you, that is not dignified for you, in actions that are beneath your dignity as a baptized person. So you keep feeling restless, You have to go home. And and the home is the Eucharist. And notice that you bring the Eucharist with you, the body of Christ, amen. He's in you. The goal is to be always home. doesn't matter where you are during the course of a day. He's in you. You're home. Receive him. Turn your will just a little bit Open your will to him. Say yes. Let him affect you more deeply. And then your attachment to these fake artificial pleasures, these immediate gratifying activities, sin, will um, wither away in the face of his substantial beauty, in the face of his substantial truth. All these little things that you're playing around with on the edges will appear as they really are, boring. In the end, remember, sin is always boring. This is the great paradox. Catholics who are not (coughs) allowing themselves to be intimate, allowing God to actually affect them, always say the Mass is boring. That's because they're not open. Their sin is what's really boring. Actually, the thing they want to leave Mass for is really boring whatever that may be. Let's get this over with so I can do X. That's the definition of boredom. But those who have opened their hearts to be affected by the mystery, and notice the saturation of the mystery at the Mass, the the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, the fullness of the presence of Jesus. Those who have opened themselves to the fullness of the presence of Jesus know that they are in, in the diametrically opposed reality of boredom. They are home. They are where they belong.
0: You know, there's a, a, an axiom we hear a lot these days. Uh, go and encounter Christ. Come and meet, you know, go seek and find Jesus. And th- as you just said, the thing is, it's not I who live it, but it's Christ who lives in me. That that quest to go find him is right here. I mean, he's right, you don't have to move a single step, do you?
1: No, just the will has to move and receive. Uh, the danger with some of that language is that you, you reduce God to a, yet another American experience. Um, let's let's go encounter Jesus. Oh, that'll be fun. Oh, that'll take part of the day. Oh, that will fill me with something to uh, be mesmerized by. Yeah, that'll be good. But that's only on the ego surface. So an encounter, which is reduced to an experience, could easily be reduced to entertainment. And as Americans, entertainment is our greatest uh, developed uh, imagination. Our least developed imagination is the theological, but entertainment is our greatest uh, matured, if you want to use that ironic word, part of our imagination our immaturity is our maturity as Americans. Everything is reduced to entertainment. So, uh, for me to say that mass is home it w- is just an affront to American sensibilities because there's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. Louis Bouillet, a, a theologian from the early, from the mid 20th century, uh, when confronted with this question about the mass is boring, he would say, Well, will let it affect you in its boredom. There is nothing happening, you're right. There is nothing to see. There's nothing to see at the Mass. There's just more to receive, more to receive. It's not uh, an experience. It's not entertainment. It's being with and being taken up into the self-offering love of Jesus Christ, and that is a, a communion which takes decades to fully be appropriated into. And um, this takes us far afield from our conversation, but we need a new catechesis on what the Eucharist is, a new, a new way of catechizing people into the Mass. And to avoid the temptation of trying to make it trying to compete with the entertainment psyche of Americans, it isn't going to work. And if we reduce the mass to just another form of pleasure, we'll actually just be aiding and abetting our addiction to sin.
0: Well, so we almost need an entirely new catechesis in the sacraments, a whole new understanding of what it is we're experiencing and not just the, uh, the head instruction Of an action, but a lived experience, don't you think?
1: Yes, and the the head instruction, you know, the um, the oppression, I'll say, of the academic, is as ruling. You know that if you have knowledge, then everything will be okay. And um, of course, we always go back to the biblical form of knowledge, which is integrated knowledge. Uh, It's the knowledge of knowing you're being loved and loving. That's the liturgy. The liturgy is your participation in being loved and loving back. It's that kind of knowledge. Um, catechesis, again, is not learning in a classroom style. It's learning how to pray. If if we don't learn how to pray, we won't even be interested in the catechism. Why would you be interested in the catechism if you don't know the person whose uh, voluminous beauty fills the catechism? You're, why would you even want to open that book? Catechism at its heart is learning how, being taught how to be with him, to receive him. And then your intellect is aflame to want to know him. We do it backwards. We've always done it backwards. I don't know for how long, but since my birth, we've done it backwards. Reducing the mystery to academics. And um, that's inherently boring because to study anybody you don't know To study anyone that you have no motivation to learn about uh, is boredom. So we have to let them be burned by the fire first. This is why, to some extent, parishes have to be remodeled. Maybe God is doing this by making our parishes so much smaller. People are leaving. They're not saying this. They're leaving because they're bored. They're leaving because they haven't encountered. They're leaving because they don't know God. And they're looking for God. But maybe we have to make our parishes more like retreat centers uh, than some type of bureaucratic um, paperwork center where you go through and get certified to receive this sacrament or that sacrament. It has to be more of a, a retreat encounter so that people want to n- know God because they've met God.
0: That's the beauty of this, this book that you have brought forward to us, Deacon Keating, because you provide for us a very simple way, particularly in the back, very practical way of once again appreciating those moments of grace where God is trying to break in and taking a rest with that. Uh, For example, the the section that you have on Lexio Divina, I think is absolutely perfect. It's not necessarily a particular method, or something that, you know, sometimes we do methods in Lexio Divina and they get in the way. We're so worried about doing the programmatic uh, attempt at Lexio that we're knocking the actual encounter of grace out of the way so that we can continue in the structure of a particular methodology. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yes, I think, you know, that's always been a human experience where the method becomes the end in itself, even like in very structured dating experiences. You know, the, the, a lot of a lot of the method became the end in itself and there were rules that you had to go through and you kind of missed the idea that you actually met the girl on that date. And um, it's the meeting of the person that's important. And of course, because we're limited and finite, we need structure. So it's not some kind of chaotic mess that we're talking about or some kind of subjective Egoism—that you, you go in there and do what you want. No, God is other than you. Just like when you're dating, the the woman or the man is other. You have to respect their otherness, their reverence. You have to have reverence toward them. And so, structure is there to assist in reverence. Structure is there to assist in uh, helping our consciousness perceive that we are about to be in the presence of someone other than ourselves. But Structure is not the end. Structure is not something to become anxious about. Structure is not some neurotic uh, goal in itself. It's just to facilitate our awareness that someone other than me is about to enter me. And in Lexio Divina, some very short points, just reverencing the scripture before you read it. But mostly it's just very simply allowing the couple lines that you may be reading in Scripture to descend upon your heart and open it and affect that heart, not by head knowledge of what you've read, not analyzing it, by how the words bear into your heart a presence. Noticing how the words carry a being into my being. And allowing that presence to just remain with you. Just enjoy it. You don't have to say, I have to do this for 10 minutes or a half hour or an hour. Just enjoy. Like when a child, you know, when you have little children and you're asleep on a Saturday morning, they just run into your room and jump on your bed and want to be with you as parents. And they wake you up, and they laugh, and they giggle, and then they're gone. That's, that's good. That's God. That's Lexio Divina. Let him run into your room, jump on your bed, be with you for as long as he wants to stay. We never want to artificially end the visit of God. But God's pretty smart, and so he doesn't usually take a long time. And because he's God, he doesn't need a long time. He can penetrate to the heart in seconds. And then we thank him for the presence that was born on his holy word, the scripture, into our hearts. And we move on with our day. But in doing that, what we're we're doing is we're training the heart to receive the movement of God coming to us throughout the day. At work, with friends, alone in our house, driving, walking, walking, the more you do Lexio, the more you notice the world is the Word of God. Creation, other people. He's using not just words, he, he's using everything of his creation. Water, wine, bread, touch, friends, love, beauty, physical beauty, architectural beauty, creative beauty. He's using it all to reach you. And he'll do it. Throughout the day, he'll alight upon you. Let him. If you don't want the Mass to be boring, let him. Because the most boring part of the Mass is that we're all visiting a stranger. And to visit a stranger is uncomfortable and you know, births anxiety in us and usually moves us to look at watches because we want to be with people we know and love. Well, if you have allowed him to come to you throughout the day, you will not be worshiping, visiting, or being affected by a stranger at Mass. You'll know him. He'll know you.
0: So in abiding in Christ, part of that process that you offer us in that practical process and the, towards the tail end of it, where it not only with Divina, but not to be discouraged, but encouraged to spend time in those sacraments and to receive, but also to offer not only what we want to share with others, but primarily ourselves and even our brokenness.
1: Discouragement is, um, yes, it's exactly what it is literally. You know, it's the breaking apart of... um, doing the right thing in the face of evil. Uh, To be courageous is to do the right thing in the face of evil. And ironically, the right thing to do at this time in church history is to worship robustly at the place where God is offering the very mysteries of our salvation. Through the hands of human beings, of course. But to whom shall we go, Lord? Where are you going to go? Psychology will only heal a portion. Uh, University professors will only uh, spout uh, their own ideas. Uh, The local bar will only medicate so far. And on and on... We can name the false places of rest that we go when we're grieving. The disappointment of human sin in the midst of the sacred. So, we understand why people are wandering. But we stand by the truth of Jesus' own words. Right? This is my body. This arrangement of words and actions and elements of the earth called the mass. This is the place where I willed to meet you and heal you. Not in the cacophony of reducing the mass to entertainment, but to heal you in the silence of Holy Communion. After you receive me, to sit in the silent receptivity of my love, this is your home. This is where you belong with me. So it's a very humble, simple message that God is trying to get out to his people in the midst of their pain. And so we have to be very humble and very uh, gentle with all of those who have been offended by the sins of the clergy. But we have to make distinctions where distinctions need to be made and that this mystery will go on because individuals have been corrupted, corrupted, but the priesthood of Christ never corrupted because he guarantees it with his own body and blood. Individuals are corrupted not the priesthood of Christ.
0: You also offer it in the book in that, that section that makes it so accessible for us a way to receive this prayer, and that itself, I I keep using the word practical because I think that's the, people want to be able to paint the beautiful, they want to be able to write the beautiful, but they're, compose it, whatever that is, but we don't feel we're capable of it. And so sometimes even, and we feel that way in prayer, we want to be able to touch the beauty and to hear the beauty of God and have it affect our lives. But so much is coming at us. So in, in the book, you give a very simple way to be able to um, be aware and to, of the movement of prayer and what to do in the, in the following steps.
1: You know, as you were speaking, one of the things that came to me, too, was, um, you know, the, the simplest prayer you can do, you know, you can acknowledge your, your feelings, and then you can tell God what you're feeling, and then you can receive what God wants to give you, which is always himself, and then after you receive God, uh, then you change, right? You, you give him some response, which is usually some behavior of thanksgiving, so you, you, you listen to what's in you, and you share it with Jesus, and then you let Jesus give back to you, and then you respond in some way. But the simplest way to to go about that kind of consciousness is just take the crucifix off your wall at home if you have one. If not, go buy one. Just hold it in your hands and look at him. And trace your finger over his open side and touch the crown of thorns and put your finger where his nails are and just be with him in his uh, in the depiction of his great love for you the depiction of his self donative love for you. just be with him in silence. Uh, the, com- the complexifying, a complexification if you will, of prayer is um, is a real downfall of our age. Uh, the reason I've said in other places that we need spiritual direction is not because prayer is complex. it's because we're complex. Uh, don't make prayer complex. If you need a spiritual director, it's because you're running into things about yourself, past sins, neuroses, some type of fear in you, some type of stubbornness. Well, then, yeah, go talk that out with someone. But God would never make complex what is his deepest desire to engage us in, and that is his own love. Why would he make that complex? The Mass is very simple. If you forget how simple the Mass is, go to a nice, quiet daily Mass and receive it again in its simplicity. Same with your prayer. You don't need volumes and volumes to explain prayer. You just need to be with Him in this simple way. Or find your own simple way. And he will he will be with you in that as well.
0: Deacon Keating, thank you so much for giving us Abiding in Christ.
1: Thank you. I love it. Thanks for letting me share with you. appreciate it.
0: Well, any final thoughts?
1: Just, uh, again, avoid discouragement. Um, have fellowship with those people who see that God is active in the world today. Uh, Stay away from the dark pools of social media and uh, come into the light and find real flesh and blood humans who are hopeful because they are nourished by the Eucharist.
0: Thank you very much. With Deacon James Keating, we've gone inside the pages of Abiding in Christ, Staying with God in a Busy World. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to priestlyformation.org, the website for the publisher, the Institute for Priestly Formation. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, including a numerous series by Deacon James Keating, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find them all within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.